Pasadena, California. Where are you from, Brooke? Uh, from British Columbia, Canada. Uh, and I'm Joanna Boyd, a registered counselor from the Port Moody area. I'm Chris Boyd, a seat filler at the Oscars from Portland. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Yes, I didn't really win an Academy Award. Haven't really done any acting. I think that's a requirement for some of those awards. Um, I do think therapists would make remarkable actors. Why do you say that? Do do explain. We have to keep straight faces when we hear a lot of things. Oh. <laughs> we have to keep straight faces. We really understand like the human psyche and behavioral patterns. We can put together narratives. We understand how narratives work. We really can spot human behavior. And do you think we'd be better directors then? We could be directors. I think we would be able to emulate it mm. really well because we're so immersed with it. And often our nervous systems are like matching other people's nervous systems. So like, I think we would know what it would look like to collapse your body for emotion or like different. Yeah, I think that we would be really great actors. Gosh, it's interesting you say that, Brooke, because I actually think opposite of that in that. Wow. Because I, I think that because of the, the need for genuineness and authenticity in our work, that acting is actually kind of different than that, you know, to, if I'm going to really show up and be me in the room with my client, um, that's not an act. I have to like avoid any act, right? Mm -hmm. So, and if I, you know, congruence being like a matching of my insides, my outsides, you know, that's a pretty important part of, I think of what we do. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm every day practicing not to act. In fact, mm -hmm. that's true. I just think back to when we had to do videos for, oh, yeah, I didn't <laughs> want to talk to camp. Real crummy. That was awful. So no, thing. I do not like to be in front of the camera. I think. I would not be a good actor at all. So, so we have a the mental health boot camp podcast is based on our program, the mental health boot camp. And a couple of years ago, I flew up to Canada and we did videos for the the website mentalhealthbootcamp.com. And we spent all day doing these videos, and there were many many takes and many many bloopers because it wasn't it wasn't easy to be in front of the cameras. It was only like five minutes a piece, but boy, those were tough, weren't they? They're super awkward. I'm sure we'd be better now. This was pre-COVID, um, obviously. So True. it was very foreign to be in front of a camera, but now we're in front of cameras so often that it That's might be a smidge different. Maybe not totally, but smidge. And it depends too, if we're in front of cameras doing this, but we're just being ourselves versus having to like pretend to do something. I don't know. That's true. I think it's different, but... You're right. We definitely around more cameras. That's for sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, so 
Anyone want to talk about toxic masculinity tonight? <laughs> we Should we uh, reference that amazing episode we did a little while ago? That oh, it's no not longer... even fun now. <laughs> well, we we did once talk about toxic masculinity for an episode, but uh, we we kind of saw some. I mean, if anyone was watching the Academy Awards uh, this past week, the uh, the Oscars as they're called. Um, a lot of people talk are talking about that as being a good example of, of toxic masculinity, really in a lot of ways. Um, I'm sure most everyone who's listening to this is familiar with what happened, but if you're not, uh, Chris Rock, a comedian, was up kind of filling some time uh, on stage as before he was going to introduce someone for an award. And he cracked some jokes uh, about people in the audience, as comedians do in these events. And he made a joke about Jada Smith, who uh, has a shaved head because she's, I don't know if Chris knew this or not, but she suffers from uh, alopecia, uh, a hair loss disorder. Uh, Made a joke at her expense. Uh, Her husband, Will Smith, didn't care for that came up on stage and slapped Chris Rock in the face and then yelled some expletives as he sat down. It was big, big news. Anyway, everyone has already heard this story or seen it, but the, the toxicity part, one being that someone's making a joke, uh, a man's up there making a joke about a woman who's, on, who's suffering from an illness uh, again, whether or not he knew that, I don't know. And certainly the other part, this uh, kind of storming the stage and really assaulting somebody. Um, and some people would say defending her honor. I mean, there's kind of a little debate out there, uh, depending on, I don't know, what your beliefs are, how you were raised. I don't know how that, how that works. But uh, it's, a, it's an interesting, been an interesting discussion that I've had with several clients this week particularly male clients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's generated some uh, interesting conversations, hasn't it? Um, so many different perspectives on it. So much analysis on this. I'm trying to break it down scene by scene, trying to understand the context and the situation, but it was uh, pretty brutal to watch though. Never thought I'd be uh, witnessing that. Absolutely. Um, A lot of people thought it was staged. Because there are a lot of staged gags at the at the Oscars, and um, some people are thinking, "Wait, was that for real? Did that actually was that really out of anger that we just witnessed this?" And it was pretty uh, pretty shocking for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the aftermath of it, and of course, he uh, stuck around and he won an Oscar after that and got a standing ovation. There's definitely some people have come out. Um, maybe some celebrities who weren't at the Oscars. Uh, Jim Carrey came out not too long ago and, and some of the hosts of the event. Um, yeah, I'm sure their perspectives days after. So again, very, very intriguing. I think I was looking at it even just half an hour ago, just seeing what the latest was on it. Just, uh, yeah, the discussion of it. Certainly, yes. And, you know, and I've heard, heard some people talking about this, especially people who have been in traumatic relationships or grew up in trauma, uh, you know, abusive households. Some of the things that, that Will was saying kind of struck them the wrong way. Like we do crazy things for love. 
which is something that uh, is repeated by people uh, in households like, hey, sorry, I hit you. But, you know, gosh, I love you so much. Mm. Um, that really sends a really harsh, twisted message to uh, to loved ones at times. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was mentioning uh, Adam Grant. He's a, a psychologist. He's got a great Instagram feed of, uh, of quotes. Um, and he was saying assault is not an expression of love. It's a symptom of what psychologists call precarious manhood. So in cultures of honor, men rationalize aggression as a means of maintaining respect and perpetuate cycles of violence. The best way to protect others is to break the cycle. So again, the culture of, of honor and, and standing up. And some people um, really do believe that. I saw some comments saying that was a, even in one circumstance, a beautiful display. When it's beautiful to watch that, right? So I think what I'm intrigued by is, you know, I think Ryan, you alluded to it, just other people's, everyone has our different experiences and we see our lens based on our common biology as well as um, different experiences that we've had. So I think that's the most intriguing part of it is how varied the perceptions have been, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I work with a lot of men in my practice and one of the things that they a few of them commented on was how, again, if, they, if you've watched the video several times, like some people do, uh, myself included, um, there was there was the joke, and it appeared that Will was laughing at first at the joke. Mm-hmm. I think he looked over to his wife and saw that she wasn't laughing. She was actually upset by this. And that's when he went and stormed the stage, right? And And as some people have posited there, like, there's, he's, there's the laughter. Uh-oh, she didn't like that. Now there's like this almost guilt feeling for a second there of, oh gosh, I need to do something about this. And then there's this kind of triggered response, this sort of knee-jerk response. I'm going to go and do something you know, drastic about this. And uh, some of the guys I've, I've been talking to have talked about that, that moment, you know, that kind of losing your, losing your cool, losing... Uh, um, losing touch with, with rational thought in that moment. And I just have to go act on something, right? Um, you know, that, not a rationalization, just an explanation of like, sometimes that's what people experience. And I'm talking about the men I was, I've been talking to. I know that women experience that too. And it's a challenge. Yeah, for sure. That, that emotional reactivity, right? We talked about what's happening within the, the brain and body. And when we get heightened like that, sometimes we can be very impulsive and reactive, not think things through. Um, you know, I think upon reflection, I, I'm sure, and maybe uh, Will Smith didn't feel too great about what he had done. And I think he did send out a message the next day. Um, who knows what his mindset was after, of course, but. But I think he alluded to that, the emotional reactivity, right? Yeah. Yeah. And again, that, that can come from a number of places as well. Someone else, his own history and his own experiences in his life. Um, but I'll say, well, if you're looking for a therapist, I'm just right down the road. <laughs> I'm sure Will's a regular listener to the podcast. so I'm sure he is. Happy to help him with that. Um, did, would that feel 
for, for you guys, if, if someone was sort of defending you or defending your honor in that way and they punch someone, would that feel good for you? No. I don't like any kind of physical violence. Nope. Mm-hmm. Uncomfy. Nope, nope. I, I think, um, I don't know. For me, it might be a little more complicated than that if it was a bit more of a, a intensive situation. Like that was a joke. It wasn't a tasteful joke by any means. And I understand uh, there's that side of it. The whole, we could talk about comedy and even just the, the purpose of that. Or, um, but anyways, yeah, if it was like a really difficult situation where maybe uh, aggression and violence may lead to um, you protecting yourself and someone you care about, then I understand in those circumstances, but definitely not in, in that scenario. Yeah, I think if it's a matter of protection and keeping people safe and that's the resort you need to go to, but not in the way that it happened. Like yeah. uh, no conversation, like nothing happened before that. It, it went straight to the physicality, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, I think the, the, the words versus physical aggression is uh, there's, a, there's a leap there. There's a big step there. Uh, certainly words can hurt. I don't believe in the sticks and stones can break my bones. Words will never hurt me. Words can be very, very damaging to people. However, you can combat that with words, maybe, or other means. You don't necessarily have to go to the physical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, I've, I've worked with clients, though, um, who often, they look for those qualities in males and guys, more the, like the alpha male type of uh, complex. And they see that as protection. Some women who've had trauma histories and um, are growing up around violence and aggression. So often that's a little more, more normalized in their lives. And, and so if they're upset, then that could be something that they would want to see in their partner. So I've seen that before at, at, at chatting with clients in the past. Absolutely. Well, I thought we'd have more thoughts on that, but that's okay. I have no regrets about bringing it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a. I think it's a. It's just been interesting reading about it. I know I have. I've been pretty quiet, but I just. Okay. I just. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. It's been interesting reading and people from different areas and people. Yeah, who, you know have their own issues, whether, uh, disabilities or things or along the lines of alopecia or other things. And they're like, there's opinions from there. And then there's bringing in, um, skin color and and being a black woman and, and, uh, you know, reading things about this is, uh, you know, like, it just seems like I'm like, Holy smokes. Like I just, I don't even, it's just, it's very, I'm very intrigued by it all. That's all. I don't really know what to make of it. It's just, Yeah. yeah. So I'm curious, like some discussions have popped up about, you know, how could have, you know, Will Smith could have reacted in lots of different ways, but what would have been more appropriate? What would have been more supportive in that Mm -hmm. situation? Like, what do you think about that? I don't, I, I, yeah, I don't, I think even if there was a call out in that, I don't know of that moment, like, I'm not saying those things shouldn't be stood up for, um, like maybe he could have called out 
and said something or spoken up or made some public thing um, towards Chris Rock in a different way, or I don't know, interrupted the show in a different way other than going to hit someone um, that could have been done in the moment. If it, you know, standing up in a different way. Um, Or they could have chose to um, like either deal with it. Like they could have dealt with it there, but they could have dealt with it after they could have dealt Mm -hmm. with it later. Uh, whether that means staying as an audience member, but Will could have supported Jada emotionally instead, uh, whether that means, again, staying there or if they left the premise to, to go and have a debrief and a walk and like, how are you feeling right now? And what was that like for you? And how are you holding up? Like, so make it about her and help support her through that, opposed to then uh, yeah i think that he could have supported her more directly yeah um, opposed to fighting the aggressor per se but i also um i am not one that enjoys stand-up comedy never have i don't know if i ever will because i find that it's always at the expense of other people and that really really bothers me so i will not even go to a comedy show i went to one and i had to walk out People try to get me to watch videos. I have to turn them off. Like I get very, very, very uncomfortable. And um, watching these award shows are very similar in that way where people just constantly are making fun of other people. So I, uh, like Chris said, maybe there's something to be said there about maybe I'm too sensitive. Maybe I'm a, a bit of a snowflake, as they say, or perhaps we need to really take a look at how comedy is shaped and what that looks like moving forward a little bit. Yeah. 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 Some people said like there's consequences to some of these things that comedians are saying. And so yeah. not saying it was the most appropriate one, but some people do believe it was an appropriate yeah. consequence. So but, but, uh, yeah. So, so are they line? And then again, what I briefly mentioned this before we logged on, but like safety for comedians moving forward. So um, one, a comedian had mentioned that in one of her posts, like, what does this mean moving forward? So if somebody gets insulted by a joke, are they now allowed to go on stage and hit a comedian? That's scary. Does it give permission to do so, right? Like, um, and then, yeah, and then reevaluating, well, then what type of material are we actually putting out there? Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea of like, Will Smith could have had a gesture or like consoled his wife, grabbed her hand. Um, visually, you could definitely send cues um visual cues to the comedian to chris rock he didn't appreciate the joke yeah. um you know you could just after. yeah you could you didn't have yeah and then maybe after you can always approach him and say hey can i hit close to home there with the diagnosis that she's had and the struggles that she's had you know i could debrief it that way or if you want to you can make a a a statement the next day or or a tweet or there's so many ways to communicate I know Will at the at the moment he didn't know that he was going to win the Oscar, but I had this fantasy of gosh, if he if he knew that he was going to have a chance to go up on stage to talk, he could have gone up there up on stage and made his acceptance speech about you know appropriate ways to um, defend your family, which is kind of what the movie was about. You know, the movie that he was being given the award for was about an, a protective dad who could lose it sometimes. Um, was ultimately a loving man, and he could have he could have channeled that into a great speech and included you know his wife's alopecia and could have probably raised millions of dollars for alopecia alopecia funding. 
Mm -hmm. And that would have potentially elicited um, a heartfelt apology from Chris Rock to say, whoa, okay, I could see how perhaps that, like I need to apologize. That was maybe crossed a line or, or whatever. There might've been an actual option there for resolution for the initial injury. But now there's this whole other piece that's on top of that. Oh yeah. Like what happened there, a slap will forever overshadow his Oscar win as well as the hard work. All the other people did that night, like the hosts and, Sure. The other winners, right? Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, and the filmmakers <laughs> once we made that very film. Yeah. Do you think? Yeah, exactly. Do you think that uh, Will Smith will regret his actions? I suspect that he already does. But well, I wonder what he can do with that regret. Hmm. If only there was a book that could help him. If only there was a book. Mm -hmm. It's book club night, everybody. Joe, take it away. an awesome song we love hearing that it's better and better every time <laughs> we should get you an award <laughs> yeah okay the grammy uh the book club we're talking about the power of regret by daniel pink which uh, just came out this is a fairly new release just this oh. year 2022 and talks all about regret not, not just, not, not what uh, a lot of people think is have no regrets in life. No, he's saying that we can learn from them and that, that emotions are powerful. They teach us a lot and we need to, uh, to stop discarding emotion and really start paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Regret is purposeful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So what are your initial impressions of this book for everyone? Did we, did you enjoy it? Not enjoy it? Did you read it? Did you listen to it? I listened to it uh, a few weeks ago, and I, I, I'll say generally speaking, I enjoyed it. I'm not giving my score yet. <laughs> But uh, I listened to it and I thought it was a pleasant listen. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. I have oh. the book. Um, so I, I prefer reading instead of listening. Um, regret's an interesting topic. I think it usually has a negative connotation to it. And so I think I'm, I was happy to read a little bit about, yeah, the power of it and how it can actually be beneficial. I think that's, regret comes up a lot, I think with clients. And so I think it's nice to actually have some information to give and some different ways of looking at it. So I thought it was a beneficial read for sure. Uh, I also listened to it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I like the flow of the book. I thought it was a, a pretty easy read. So lots of good tidbits of information in there. So there's some depth to it. it made me think about 
lots of different things, but it wasn't too heavy, which I liked. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm similar to you guys. So I listened to this one, um, didn't have time to pick up a copy, but overall enjoyed it. Like I, I thought it was, again, yeah, easy to, to listen to. I thought it was, had enough, enough depth, but still accessible. Like it was, a, I think it was a good happy medium. Like I think a, a large amount of the population could read this book and understand the book. Like it wasn't too heavy or dry or anything like that. So, um, so Joanna, because you read it, all the little snippets where there's uh, like people who have answered the questions, like little mm -hmm. statements from them or quotes from them. Mm -hmm. In the audio book, they have like different actors with different voices kind of like reading them out. Oh, okay. So it would break up the narrator. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's is, good. Yeah, you got to be creative or, yeah. with some of these. Mm -hmm. so in the book, are they just marked as a quote? I'm just curious. Or were they actually? Yeah. Like, they, yeah, they kind of are just in a separate, their own little paragraph and they'll have it in different writing. Um, yeah, like they'll have a, like that well, someone says and then they're like different you could tell it's someone or they make note of it. It's different print. Yeah. And then they have, yeah, they're just quotes like this. Just quotes. Yeah. Separate page. So. So what yeah, Pink did is. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. It was just, yeah. Visually they, they separated everything. Well, it was an easy flow for sure. So he put together something called the world regret survey. And, and there's a website, I believe, linked to that where people can, can just write down what, what, are you, what do you regret? What, what are your biggest regrets in your life? And collected thousands, tens of thousands of statements from people around the world talking about what their particular regrets are. What do they think about when they think of things, things from the past that they regret? And uh, he noted that that they kind of tended to fall in, in four different categories. And he talked a bit about how in the past people would, would categorize regrets in terms of work regrets or relationship regrets or um, other, other sorts of things having to do with kind of areas of their life. But he said, no, I think that there are, are four different categories. And he calls these foundation regrets, which are things like that let establish the foundation of your life. Things like, uh, did you drop out of school or did you study the wrong subject or something? Or um, were you, have you not been taking care of your health? Or did you start smoking early and not quit? Something like that. Foundation regrets. Boldness regrets, which have to do with, um, did you, you know, did you, do you regret not asking someone out at some point or not taking a risk or taking a chance somewhere? Um, moral regrets, which have to do with um, sometime when you, you knew you had a choice between kind of doing the right thing and the wrong thing, and you cho chose to do the wrong thing. I stole something. I cheated on someone. I, um, made some sort of moral choice that, that I'm, I think about to this day. Um, and then he calls what he calls connection regrets, which oftentimes have to do with relationships that you've had in your life that you have let go, you know, oftentimes friendships that you feel like, Oh, I've, I'm not, uh, I, I've lost touch with them and I wish I could get back in touch with them, but it would be awkward or maybe they wouldn't want to reconnect with me. <clears throat> and so he talks a lot through the, throughout the book of those kind of four categories of regrets. 
And I think I found that pretty helpful. I did too. I liked how we kind of laid that out um, for sure. And then uh, as Brooke mentioned, all the different quotes from the, uh, from the actual regret survey kind of uh, added some substance to it. Sure. Sure. Definitely added some color. Yeah, it did. It did. Um, and and kind of the, the overall premise being what you, what you said before, Brooke, that um, negative feelings are signals for thinking. They're, when you have a negative, a strong negative reaction to something, he says that that's, that's supposed to kind of alert us to something, some problem to solve or some, something to do going forward. Um, you know, gosh, I really feel bad about doing this thing in the past. And he says, instead of just kind of sitting in that bad feeling, uh, you should start thinking about, well, what can I do differently going forward from here? Um, what can I either, what can I do maybe for restitution or to make it right? Uh, but at least what can I do to change my own behavior going forward? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he had some ways to, a few tips to um, respond to the regret, right? So instead of being swept up by it and fixating and ruminating, he offered some, actually some pretty practical suggestions. So I think that was his first one, wasn't it? Like if you have a regret, try to undo it or, or try to shift or try to repair the damage if you can, right? Mm-hmm. That's what he kind of got into there. And then, uh, of course, if, if it can't be redone or undone, sorry, you got another possibility. And second one was like, find the silver lining, which I thought was kind of practical too. So this happened, but at least dot, dot, dot. Um, so you're trying to make that pivot in your mind a bit. The example he likes for that one was, you know, someone who says, oh, I married the wrong person, but at least I have these three wonderful kids. Or something like that, right? Where you just trying to find something positive about that that choice, even if it wasn't all 100% great for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they did some uh, research on that. And the alternative is if only, right? If you just fixate on the fact you married that person, um, then mm-hmm. uh, that can hold you back from obviously a uh, number of different things in your life, right? So finding that silver lining or using the at least was a great way to, to again, respond. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so if you're Will Smith and you're regretting what happened on stage last week, (laughs) the, the undoing would be, okay, what can I do to make this right? Apologizing, I think would be part of that, uh, which he did. Um, Hopefully he did one personally too to Chris, but Maybe maybe some other gesture to uh, to try to undo some of the the negative of that experience. The silver yeah. lining. Hmm, it's interesting. I wonder if there's a silver lining from that experience. Mm-hmm. Well, I think he alluded to that he is. What did he say? I'm a work in progress or something like that. So mm-hmm. um, maybe we'll trigger some some personal growth there in sure. his life of some kind. Of course. He can't undo what happened there. So but I think in, uh, Daniel Pink mentions another uh, strategy is to tell others, right? The admission of that. Mm-hmm. So writing about it or privately or just or, or to someone that you trust. 
So obviously he's a celebrity, so that yeah. admission might look a little different from, from someone else, but so I guess maybe he did that a bit through his, through his mm -hmm. uh, Instagram message or a tweet, whatever it was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He kind of goes over, I guess, well, it's near the beginning of the book, but the three benefits of regret, I think um, there's the, yeah, improving decisions. I think it could uh, deepen meaning. And what was the other one? Boost performance. Mm. So those are our are three benefits there. And I think it was the first one um, with the improving decisions. I like how he did um, regret hygiene, I think he called it. Uh, and so it kind of um, forces you to slow down and um, the negativity, I guess, from the regret forces you to kind of take things slower the next time and kind of with more information, it might um, improve your future decisions. So I like that term, the regret hygiene. Mm -hmm. Um, he had a lot of really great language around it or ways to make regret a positive thing opposed to making regret a negative, scary thing, like a shameful thing. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. He did a really good job of that. Yeah. Sure. Something and along those lines, uh, one of the things I really appreciated, he talked about New Year's resolutions, how people always make New Year's resolutions, and it's oftentimes something big and aspirational. He suggested, why don't you just look at what your past year's regrets were? You know, what do you regret about your past year? And then grab a hold of that and try to turn that into kind of a resolution for the next year. So I thought that's very practical. I don't, I don't know many, yeah, I've never done that. That's an interesting, interesting point. I'm going to do that next year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Along those same lines, didn't you talk about the, the you know, we usually do a post-mortem, he did a pre-mortem. So talking about what you may regret in the future and trying to get that out and try to conceptualize that. Mm. I think he used Jeff Bezos as an example. So apparently Bezos did something similar. Or maybe he did a bit more of an regret analysis saying, if I decide not to start this new venture up, uh, will I regret that? Um, versus if I do start it and I, and I fail. So I think he, that he found motivation from that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Are you going to see someone? <laughs> Sorry, mouth open there. Um, he also touched on self-compassion as a, as a technique to help with regret too. So um, highlighting the research is it Kristen Neff, who's like kind of the, the big pioneer when it comes to self-compassion. So trying to uh, kind of shift your perspective a bit. So if, if, if you know, what would you say to a friend if, if they were feeling this level of regret or what would a friend tell you if, if they knew that you're experiencing this regret? So trying to um, treat yourself like you would treat others. Self-compassion, always helpful. Did this book make you reflect on your own regrets? Anything from your own life? Mm-hmm. I think it's hard for it not to. I think it's 
makes you maybe think about, yeah, your own relationship with regret and uh, maybe different ways you can look at it or conceptualize it or the if onlys or the at least. And um, yeah, totally. I'm probably not going to share any with you right now, <laughs> but I definitely, I think it's good to, it's been good to reflect upon for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you're going to be reading about it, you're going to be thinking about it. Um, I definitely, I feel like I fall in the category of people who say, I don't have regrets because everything has led me to where I am today. Um uh, which he addresses in the book. And so then it was, he mentions, well, if you would go back and do it again, would you make that same choice? You know, if you were to pick that thing, would you make that same choice and whether or not you would say yes or no. Right. Um, In which case then you start thinking, Oh gosh, what would I have said? No, I wouldn't do that again. Or yes, I would have done that differently because then maybe you do have some regrets Mm -hmm. and you want to think about that and own that and be okay with that moving forward. You can still honor that all of these things um, helped you become the person that you are. But if you were to go back, maybe you would do a few things a little bit differently. Certainly. Mm -hmm. Yes. I have, I have regrets from all these categories, I believe. Uh, Yeah. I'm no stranger to these regrets. One that he mentioned many times and I absolutely could resonate with it is, uh, uh, he talked about a lot of people in this in his worldwide survey said, "I wish I would have studied abroad uh, when in college, you know, if given the opportunity." Um, and I didn't do that. I I had friends who did, and I had opportunities to do that, and I just chose. No, I think I just want to stay here and stay with my friends, and it's safe and nice and known, and uh, I didn't want to venture out. And gosh, I've thought about that a lot. Boy, I wish I would have spent a semester in Asia or a semester in Europe or something like that. That would have been a lot of fun. I know it's a very privileged thing to regret, but uh, I acknowledge that. But something that I've that I definitely thought about. That would have been, you know. So, so what can I learn from that? Well, I can learn now that gosh staying safe and uh, not taking the risk is is an option but uh, sometimes taking the risk and doing something that's out of my comfort zone is uh, could reap more benefits so I've tried to travel more uh, in my adulthood and really enjoyed that haven't regretted a bit of it so it's been fun cool yeah that's great I think I've shared before that you know, uh, wasn't as focused academically earlier on in my high school and uh, life. And, but I think as time went on, maybe early college as well, perhaps, but as time went on though, I think I found my stride there. But so I think that kind of taught me too. like looking back on there's always in the back of my mind that, Oh, you miss out on this opportunity to really get the most out of your education. So I think I've been kind of driven to, to make the most of learning opportunities moving forward. Um, which is great for our field because continuing education is so important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then with all of these, again, that, you know, everything happens and you're the person you are because of it. Part of my, my mind goes to the, at least like, so for you, Ryan, 
perhaps there was, well, at least I did stay and I had these really exceptional experiences or yeah. I was able to develop my, my friendships with these people became deeper or long lasting, or I realized these people were not healthy for me and they're no longer in my life. Um, there's other ways that your life advanced by choosing what you did. And for Chris, like there is probably a bazillion stories and experiences that you have because you were spending time not necessarily studying or in class or where whatever the heck you were doing. Um, but there were other things that you did experience which applied to your growth. So it's always interesting to me, like I wonder with these regrets as you get older and you're at a different phase of life or your values or morals adapt or change, those regrets I think are going to change with you, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um yeah yeah sure. so that'll be interesting i'm sure as we all grow older after the next 10 20 years of our lives to to see what changes there yeah and the fact where i asked that question it gives a chance to divulge that regret which will reduce some of its burden mm-hmm. which can clear a path to making sense of it which was basically what daniel pink was saying right about telling others so there we go mm. Sure. Sure. <laughs> yes. I divulged it. I divulged it to all of you. Yes. I wish I would have gone to London for a term or something, but yes. Uh, you're right, Brooke. I, I totally agree. I mean, we just don't know, right? We don't know what you know, we will never know. I can, the, the idea of, of doing that semester abroad would have been, it's a fantasy and maybe it's idealized in my mind too. So yeah. I don't, I don't have any idea what that would have been like. It could have been the worst trip of my life. I never know. I might've deterred you from ever traveling again. Yeah, that's right. But instead the regret has sparked this passion of travel where you make sure that you incorporate that into your life. And that's a, which is why regret is a good thing. Hmm. Do you think there's a, like when people, if someone shares regrets with you, is it important to, you know, listen and hear them out and maybe not jump to uh well at least because then that could be like invalidating I don't know you know what I mean like yeah. if there's a um I guess you would treat it as if you would listen to any story or help validate or experience or um listen to them or whatever explore what they're talking about but I just thought about that that at least thing I was like but what if they just need to (laughs) still learn something from it or maybe they just need to still suss it out a little bit I don't know but Mm -hmm. I guess they're different people will get different things from exploring their regrets but I don't know yeah again I think the admission of it is important and to explore the feelings associated with it Mm mm-hmm and if, um, yeah, so luckily, you know, clients, our clients can, can chat to us in the therapy office, but if you can't do that, then I think he talks about Jamie Pennebaker's work as well, right? Doing the writing. So just 20 minutes for a few days in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, also has lots of great benefits. Just expressing it somehow, getting it out of you a little bit, right? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, Joanna, I agree with you that you're probably going to want to validate and listen. And yeah, I probably wouldn't jump right into the at least. No, no. Yeah, I figured. I think I just thought about that because it's 
it's mm-hmm. uh, even for people to give themselves a chance to yeah explore it or the admission part before even for themselves feeling pressure to go to the at least part yeah 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 it's interesting because one thing that i've i've talked about with clients that uh correct me if i'm wrong i don't really think you got into this point in the book but when i've talked with clients about regrets that they have about their past usually decisions that they made um i usually have the phrase you made the best decision with the information you had at the time Mm. right and and that's often times the case you're not often knowing this is going to be really bad for me so i'm going to choose to do this right but you're, you're weighing your options, you're weighing the risk, and you're saying at that moment, okay, this is what I think is going to be best for me. You know, maybe, you know, it could be something even that's in the, in the moral piece, you know, well, I'm going to shoplift this shirt, uh, but I think I can get away with it. And I really want to have the shirt. I don't have the money for it. So I'm going to just steal it. Uh Oh, I got caught. I went to jail, all that stuff. I regret doing it. But at that time, you probably thought you were making the best decision. Um, and oftentimes it's not as, you know, harsh as that one. It's just little things like, uh, did I break up with this person or stay with this person? Did I, you know, a lot of other choices in their life. And mm-hmm. usually we're trying to make the best decision at that moment. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to see the stuff in hindsight to the rearview mirror and say, oh yeah, that wasn't a good decision. But in the moment, we don't have that option, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm with you. I, I use that phrase a lot with clients. Um, Historically, I've worked with, not, not so much anymore, Chris works more with them, but um, motor vehicle accidents or workplace accidents. So there's actually regret around timing there a little bit, like I regret leaving the house late. I regret leaving, like there's kind of this, uh, if only I had left five minutes earlier or later, but there's actually kind of regret tied in with that. I regret not, I don't know doing whatever it is they would have loved to do. And now their, their injury prevents them from doing that. Um, but, and again, it's, you made the best choice given, you didn't know that that was gonna happen. Yeah. There has to be some forgiveness in there somewhere. Yeah, right. Some radical acceptance that this did happen and it's shitty. Yeah. I'm still here. And that yeah. is okay. So maybe that's where the, that self-compassion comes in a little bit. Because um, you're right, there's often a lot of self-blame. I made this decision, or the injuries, I'm dealing with the injuries, right? So they kind of internalize or personalize the impact of that in the lives, and of course, in their life, as well as the lives of the people they care about. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, we see that a lot, eh? One bit that he did talk about that was that was pretty clear uh, to him, at least, uh, was the idea of the, the lost connections, right? You've, you've, you've lost touch with an old friend. Um, you know, you didn't go to their wedding or something, and then you feel bad about it. So then you haven't talked to them for 15 years, and you really miss them. And, uh, and a lot of people get caught in that, well, if I reach out, it'll be awkward. And then it probably, you know, I don't think it'll go well. What if they, what if they don't want to be... Uh, back in connection with me. And he said that overwhelmingly, that is a false belief. Overwhelmingly from the the people he's talked to, 
if you make that connection, the other person is understanding. Mm. It's not as awkward as you might think. And they're more, they're happy to hear from you and happy to reconnect, you know, unless there was some sort of major falling out or something. It's just the kind of friends that kind of faded apart. Um, from what he's seen, chances are it's going to go well, which I thought was really positive. Yeah. He had a good uh, little reframe there. He said that, that, that friend that you're, you know, you regret losing uh, touch with uh, and you haven't talked to in a while. And um, if she reached out to you right now or tomorrow, how would, how do you react? And I think she said, Oh, I would, it'd be very, I'd be thrilled. It'd be such an emotional moment. I'd be so happy to hear from her. Right. So it's like a nice little cognitive reframe there, shifted the perspective on her and hopefully increased the chances of her reaching out to that friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, a lot of a lot of good little takeaways I found from the book, like those. Um, another takeaway I had was this. Uh, I believe you said it was a Japanese like uh, saying that the the best time to plant a tree is twenty years ago. The second best time is today. Yes. So yeah, sure. Maybe it would have been great if something did happen or didn't happen twenty years ago. Fine. But you can still do something about it now. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Yeah, it's a great one. It is great. Also timely with, you know, like climate change and the fact that we need more trees. <laughs> and it's springtime here and I've been thinking about planting a tree in my yard. It was, a, yeah, perfect timing. Trees, literally plant a tree today. Let's do it. <laughs> That's good. Well. Yeah. Are we ready to give a score? Oh, we're supposed to write them down, right? Yes. Oh, nothing to write down. Mine's already written down. There's no pens in this room. Okay, I'll put it on my phone. Use like, do you have like little pieces of paper to rip up and put in the like <laughs> the shape of a number? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. Okay, I'll write it on this phone. Okay. Okay, we ready? All show our number. Is that what we're doing? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Show it at the same okay. time. One, two, three. Oh, <laughs> got it. Okay. Chris had a 7.1. 7.1. I had an 8. I have a 7.5. 7.5 and Joe has 8.25. 8.25. Oh, you guys are so specific. Wow. 8 was that was the first thing and I was like, "Ah, we'll go up a bit." Go up a little bit. Okay. That's interesting. Well, I thought maybe more like seven. I was like, no, it needs to be a little higher than seven. But I didn't feel like it was quite an eight. That's fair. I know. I feel like each time I, it's hard because I think about the stuff we've done, but then I'm like, I can't really commit. You got to kind of just, it's hard to compare it to the other books. Yeah. Cause it's different style and purpose yeah. and. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I, I thought it was an easy, like good flow. I think it was informative. I think it was gave some, some, yeah, good ideas for people to think about. I think it'll be helpful with clients. Um, yeah. yeah. 8.5. <laughs> I would definitely like recommend the book to clients or practitioners, like variety of people. Yeah. Easy to read. And I don't know what it would be missing for me to bump it up a bit, like to make it an eight or a nine. I'm not really sure. So that just might be more of a subjective fit with myself. Um, but yeah. yeah, I thought it was good. Yeah, I, I I read a lot of self-help books and it for me, it feels like a lot of them cover a lot of the same ground, like even mm-hmm. referring to the same studies or the same authors and that sort of thing. And and he did a little bit of that, but I felt like there was enough fresh here and enough new here that it was interesting for me. That's that's part of what kept my interest. Plus it's it's a bit shorter than a lot of the other uh, self-help books I've read. So that was <laughs> welcomed as well. You know, give it to me, give me the, the punch. Uh, also all of the, the quotes, I think were really helpful too. And just illustrating the point. So it was interesting. So, yeah, I was pleased. Uh, what could make it better? Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think it maybe even if, if something was even more groundbreaking, uh, but I did like the, uh, you know, the tidbits of information, the, the little bits of advice he, he shared throughout. Like my next New Year's resolution, I'm thinking of my last year's regrets. I'm doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there was a lot of really, really good stuff, but nothing where I was like, whoa, that just blew my mind. Yeah. But there was a lot of really good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I think it's a, a good interpretation of it. Like uh, for me, it's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And um, some of the examples he used some of the stuff I've kind of heard before or the premise of it before. Um, but I, yeah, I think it flowed really well. And I thought it was, you know, fairly upbeat and um, yeah, maybe it could have been a little higher than 7.1 because the more we talk about it, the more I'm not quite sure how he could have improved on it, but um, I'd recommend it for sure. Well, there we go. Yeah. There wasn't like a, it wasn't really an emotional book. It didn't, uh, didn't make me, um, you know, wasn't I like the existential stuff sometimes that really makes you really makes you think this is kind of a interesting read and kept my attention and, you know, mm-hmm. I don't think was there like super in-depth stories. I know it was like little tidbits of, of, of people talk about things they regret, but um, it's interesting. There were, there are some stories that, that kind of repeated or some longer stories, but they weren't necessarily all that groundbreaking right like there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of talking about tattoos at the beginning of the book yeah a lot of talking about people getting a tattoo with no regrets and for some reason really dove deep into (laughs) the tattoo no regrets just just to really make the point of you know everyone has regrets except for like small kids and the you know people with severe traumatic brain injury and uh sociopaths so okay that's that's summarizing it in a, in a sentence like no regrets it's not a great tattoo idea because we need to learn from our regrets but boy he dove into that really hard and then the the story at the end of the woman who wanted to reconnect with an old friend and really felt conflicted about that um 
but yeah, probably could have had some deeper stories. I know that there are people who have regrets that are much more significant than that. Yeah, the um, regrets people had were, it was nice to hear it peppered in there, but mm-hmm. yeah, there was a lot of repetition and there wasn't yeah. a ton of depth to that or context to that, but which is fine. I mean, that exceeds what he was doing in his study. But sure. Anyways, yeah. yeah, good book all around. I don't regret reading it. That's for mm-hmm. sure. No, exactly. Me either. So we'll have to think about um, off screen what our next book will be. Yes. Yeah, we will. And then we will let you listeners slash viewers know next time. That's right. Good deal. Well, fun book club. Thanks for reading and listening along with us. And uh, I guess we'll just sign off for now. So goodbye, everybody. Like and subscribe. Apple, Google, Podbean, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube. Send your questions to info at mentalbootcamp.com. Visit us on Facebook or Instagram. Tell a friend or two. You won't regret it. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye, now. Bye, man.